All right. Well, it is. It is a blessing to be here today, uh, as always, and uh, I am kind of taking up a challenge today in that since we have two services, I will be attempting to preach through uh, the whole chapter of Luke chapter 11. So, we will see how that goes, whether we get through the whole thing or not, but uh, there's some rich stuff in this passage, and so if we do not get through the whole uh, chapter, I'm sure there will be plenty of time in the Lord's mercy to uh, do it again, to go through uh, it in the future, but we will see what God does. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, Lord, for once again the opportunity to open Luke's account of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We thank you for persuading Luke and working on his heart to write this. Uh, we thank you that it shows that, um, that even though simple shepherds and simple fishermen could trust you, that even uh, the intelligent uh, doctors of the day could find truth in what you had said and write it down so that we could read it and share with us facts that would encourage us to realize the truth of Jesus being the Son of God and all that he has given to us. We pray your blessing upon this service and also the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, um, today we're going to start in Luke chapter 11, and in this uh, session we will be looking at Jesus teaching the disciples to pray and showing us God's love. And the first point, if you're taking notes, is Jesus is going to teach us the pattern of prayer. Now the reason that I put it this way is that a lot of times people, when they read this prayer in the first part of Luke chapter 11, they say, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. And some denominations will recite the Lord's Prayer as part of their prayers in church. And I'm not here to necessarily say that that is completely wrong. I think that you can recite other prayers and have a heart that is legitimately praying it. But I do think that we are warned, I do know that we are warned against vain repetition. So I think the primary thing that God is dealing with when he brings us this prayer through Jesus, that he's saying this is the pattern of prayer. This is the skeleton, if you will, um, upon which you should um, focus your attention when you do pray. Use this as a template. So I don't think he's saying that we should always repeat all the words or say them exactly the way he he did in this example. He's just saying, after this manner, pray. So let's read the first eight verses of Luke chapter 11. And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, 
<clears throat> when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, ah, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he, okay. and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is, in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give, though he will not rise and give him, because he is of his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. All right. So as we look at this, first of all, it's the it's uh, first of all it's a mention of the Lord's Prayer, and it is a little different worded than the Lord's Prayer as recorded in Matthew. So it's quite possible that uh, that they might have even asked uh, Jesus to teach them to pray on more than one occasion. But whatever the case, it's a little different worded than the most common recited version of it. And uh, so I just thought that was kind of interesting. But I also thought this was interesting. In verse 1 it says, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So I want to just point out that the first step in teaching anyone anything, and especially as we as, we as parents or as uncles and aunts want to impart spiritual blessings unto those that God has placed in our life, the first way that we teach is by example. The disciples wanted to know how to pray because they saw it modeled before them. They saw Jesus praying and having this intimate relationship with his Father. And in, in essence, what they were saying when they said, teach us to pray, they were saying, I want that. So the first challenge that I want to bring before you today is, are you living a life before God and in your relationship with Christ that people can look at and say, I, seeing that, I want that. And that's a, that's a challenge to me as well. Because I, I often have reflected on the fact that I want to get to the place in my life where I can say with Paul, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And that is an important caveat because certainly not everything that Paul did was correct. He was human. He said the things that I would do, those things I do not. And the things that I would not do, those things I do. And then he says... O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to 
to Jesus Christ who giveth us the victory. So definitely that caveat is important because as we look out into the world today and we see people <clears throat> following after men, we talked about this morning in the breaking of bread, a little bit about the Pope and how everybody was kind of falling all over themselves, even people that aren't uh, following God day by day and couldn't really care less for his moral laws. Somehow, they still liked the Pope. They wanted an audience with him. They wanted to be with him because they thought that he was some great man. Do you know what that man... He was born to sinners. And he, if he has not trusted Christ alone for his salvation, he's still a sinner. And he's still headed for a Christless eternity. You know, a lot of times people say, well, Peter was the first pope. That God, Jesus said he was going to build his church on Peter because Peter was a rock. But you know what? That's really a misreading of that passage. Because what is the rock? What did Peter, what did Peter just said before Jesus said that? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. My brothers and sisters, that is the rock upon which the church is built. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Alright, and so then Jesus in verse 2, he begins to lay out how we should pray. And I, I, I think we all need to be reminded about this because often when I pray, I don't know about you, but I, I often launch into my needs list right away. And Jesus is saying, before you even get there, acknowledge God as God. Be thankful for Him as God and pray for His will to be done both in your life and in the lives of others. And then this is also a convicting one. Give us day by day our daily bread. I look at some of my long-term goals and I'm like, Lord, I don't know how I'm ever going to accomplish these long-term goals. If you have a rich uncle out there for me somewhere that can give me everything that I desire financially so that I can move on to some of these other goals that I have, then by all means, send them in my life. But what Jesus is saying here is we need to be focused on our daily needs. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, don't give me too much that I forget you. Don't give me too little that I curse you. Give me just enough so that I can rely on you. And that, that's the Andrew Gomison paraphrase, but basically that's the gist of this Proverbs passage. And I'm reminded of that often. And then verse 4, And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm often 
humbled by the fact that I struggle to forgive others. And yet, I'm reminded on a regular basis of how much Jesus has forgiven me. You know, I've, I've heard this joke uh, before. It said this, some wives, some men struggle because their wives get hysterical when they get into arguments. Other husbands struggle because their wives get historical when they get into arguments. Recalling all the times, and I'm sure it could go the other way, recalling all the times when the person in the relationship Whatever the relationship, whether it be a spouse, whether it be a uh, uh, brother or sister, can recall all the times when you wronged me. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And it's hard for us to forget. It is. But that's what true forgiveness is. True forgiveness is letting go of the past so that you can embrace the future. And choosing not to forgive is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. These are important things for us to know. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus would later say in the garden, pray lest you enter into temptation, for the Spirit indeed is willing. The flesh is weak. And of course, the flesh was weak. Peter, James, and John, they all fell asleep in the garden when Jesus asked them to go with him to pray. And he's like, could you not watch with me one hour? But they couldn't. In verse 5 we read, And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend? And she'll go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come unto me, and I have nothing to give him. And from within he shall answer, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in the bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is in his, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And this is kind of a difficult passage in a way, but I think the main point is that this man has this need and he's persistent in declaring it. And because of his persistence and because this man ultimately wants to be able to go to bed with his family, he gives him what he needs, so he'll move on. And Jesus uses this as a springboard to talk about um, what, how we should respond to Him and how we should ask for things of Him. But before we get to that, I just wanted to look at a cross-reference. If someone could look up uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Matthew six thirty-four.
Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil of us. All right. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about not worrying. Remember we, we talked about give us this day our daily bread. I don't know if you've ever read the story of George Mueller, but he is a great example. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for help when you need it from your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but the short story is that before he was saved, George Mueller wanted to be a preacher. Not out of passion for the gospel, but because in his circles, in the place where he lived, preachers were among the highest paid professions all of his day. And so his purpose for becoming a preacher originally was, I want filthy lucre. So when he became a Christian, when he became saved, he knew that was a weakness of his. And so he said, in all that I do, in all that God calls me to, I'm not going to ask for a penny. And from what we know, millions of dollars, or at least the equivalent of millions of dollars, went through his hands throughout his life. And he started many orphanages, all through the generous donations of people that didn't even necessarily know the exact needs they were meeting. And one of my favorite stories of George Mueller was he was sitting at the breakfast table with some of his orphans and there was no food in the orphanage. And he said, well, we need to pray for our breakfast anyway. And he bowed his head and he prayed for breakfast. And there came a knock on his door. And it was a milkman. His milk wagon had broken down. So there's no way that we can get this milk to the customers. So we need to give it away. Here, take this milk. So then they had milk to drink. A few minutes later, another knock comes on the door. And a bread wagon had the same difficulty. And so they had bread and milk for breakfast that day. I think sometimes we shortchange God because we don't believe that he can answer prayers like that when in fact he can. Sometimes I'm not specific enough with God in my prayer life because I want to give him an out or at least a wide berth to be able to define what the answer is instead of praying specifically. From Our Daily Bread in December of 1993, it says this. And Ivan endures all the horrors of a Soviet prison camp. One day he is praying with his eyes closed when a fellow prisoner notices him and says with ridicule, Prayers won't help you get out of here any faster. Opening his eyes, Ivan answers, I do not pray to get out of prison, but to do the will of God. Sometimes we pray to get out of situations 
when what we really need to be praying is, God, lead me through this situation. Show me what you want to teach me through it. All right, so we've talked about the pattern of prayer. We've, we've seen a, a pattern of praying and thanking God for his, for his goodness and his glory and who he is. Then moving on to our needs and praying for our daily bread and moving on to our need for redemption, our need for uh, forgiveness of sins, which is a daily occurrence. And then asking God for the strength to be able to endure temptation day by day. And in this second point, we will find in verses, 11, verses 9 to 13 of Luke 11, we will find the promise of prayer. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and him that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a servant? Or if he ask for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So here's the promise of prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And him who seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. That's why I said a lot of people that characterize themselves as seekers are in fact not seekers. Because God says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. God always speaks in the definitive. He never says maybe. We say maybe because we're imperfect. I don't know if you remember this growing up, but I do. There were times when I wanted to do something special, like if the circus came to town, or, or if my, my friends were having a party or whatever, and my parents would say, these words. Maybe. And I know they did their best to give us good things and, and to actually mean it when they said that. But in my little kid brain, when I was really little, I often thought of maybe as yes. And I would say, but mom and dad, you said that you would do this. And they would say, well, I... I said maybe, because I didn't know if it would work out. But there's no maybe with God. He always speaks in the definitive article. And if we ask, it will be given to us, and if we knock, it will be opened to us. Sometimes people misinterpret this passage because they say, well, that means that if I ask specifically enough and I ask with all the passion in my heart that everything I ever wanted will come to me. 
But the thing that you realize as you, as you grow in your faith is that God is a Father. And He will give us the things that we need, not necessarily the things that we want. If my parents had given me everything I wanted, I would be a spoiled brat. And I, would be up here, I wouldn't be up here. Because I never would have yielded my life to Jesus Christ. I would have said, I want what I want. And the world owes me a living. And I've seen so many people today in the United States of America who say the world owes me a living. They don't know what it's like to work hard. They haven't been taught to work hard. In Deuteronomy it says, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands. In 1 Thessalonians it says, If a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. These are truths that our society desperately needs. The freedoms that we have in the United States of America did not come about because some guys just sitting around twiddling their thumbs said, Oh, it would be a good idea to start a nation. Let's meet in three years to discuss it. No, these men were so passionate about the desire to start a nation founded on godly principles that they went back and forth and met in the Continental Congress for years before they finally declared their independence. And they did it to have the freedom to worship God as they felt led. And they understood, as we do not today, that freedom is only possible through personal responsibility. Freedom is not just doing what I want. Freedom is doing what I ought. Paul said, shall we continue in sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, God forbid. For if you are, if you submit yourself to sin, then you are a slave to sin. No, the grace of God constrains us to do the right thing. So then he gets a little more specific and he brings it to practical terms. And he says, if a son asks bread of any of you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a servant? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? And then he says something very convicting. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the Holy Spirit, uh, shall the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And here's the, dif the difference. Because when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it clarifies things for us. It shows us the things that we are to pursue. Jesus said in another way in Matthew, He said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Um, the Bible says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. And I believe that's true. 
But it also says in that same book that the continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. So if you seek the companionship of a woman without doing it God's way, you can be given agony for the rest of your life. If you do it God's way, you can be given blessing for the rest of your life. Because Proverbs 19 says, a prudent wife is from the Lord. God still wants you to have that. It's a blessing that he promises, but he wants it done his way. And he knows what we need more than we know what we need. And this is something that we need to be aware of. Someone could look at John 15, verse 16. John 15, 16. Again, he's saying, I'll give you whatever you ask in my name. But what is the purpose of the things that he gives us? It's to bear fruit. If the thing that you want won't bear fruit in your life, guess what? He's not going to give it to you. This is something that we really need to understand. Because as I've tried to uh, explain to some of my well-meaning, charismatic brethren... I believe that my disability, my wheelchair, keeps me close to God. I went through a very rebellious time in my early teens when I was still bitter, when I was still asking, why, God? And if the thoughts in my head could have translated to my life, I would have gotten in big trouble and possibly even ended my life. So God knew what he was doing because I was a captive audience. My parents were able to shove me in the car every Sunday to go to church. I knew that if I ever tried to run away, I wouldn't get very far because my battery would go dead. My mom says this will even pay off when I do get married because she will let my wife know how to turn off my chair when we have arguments and... Uh, it won't be turned back on until it's resolved. I hope that doesn't happen, but knowing that I'm imperfect, it probably will. But the point being, God knows what I need. And for me, he said, you need to learn that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Can he heal me? Yes. He can, absolutely. Will he, this side of heaven? I doubt it. But I don't serve God because he can heal me. I serve God because of who he is. I serve God not because of what he can give me, but because of what he already gave me. He gave me his love. He gave me a permanent home in heaven. He promises me a glorified body one day. You know, the way some of these charismatics talk, and I know many of them love the Lord, but the way some of them talk, they should never have to attend a funeral. 
But Jesus, but Paul said, the outer man is perishing. The outer man is perishing day unto day, but the inward man is renewed into strength. Why is the outward man perishing? Because this life is not all there is. Because he's coming again. And he's going to give us whole bodies. Just want to share this quick story. Also from our daily bread, Dr. Helen Rosevear, missionary to Zaire, told the following story. A mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair. So we asked the children to pray for the baby and, we, and for her sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. The children watched eagerly as we opened it. Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, if God sent that, I'm sure he also sent a doll. And she was right. The Heavenly Father knew in advance of that child's sincere requests, and five months earlier, he led a ladies' group to include both of these specific articles. If you don't believe God is real, and that he answers prayer. You can choose to say that that was coincidence. But I know that God knows everything. When the Old Testament saints were looking forward to Jesus, they probably were like, he's taking so long. But the Bible says in Galatians that when the fullness of time was come, Christ was born of a woman. When his time was perfect, he came. And we can rely on that for his second coming as well. When the fullness of his time is coming. <clears throat> Peter said this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is patient to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I look forward to Jesus coming back, but I also have loved ones that I care so desperately about that do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. That if Jesus took us home today, they would not be among us. And so sometimes I do pray for God to restrain his hand. But I know that when the time has come, when the fullness of time comes, he will come and he will set things right. The Bible says that the earth itself even groans. All right, well, we're going to get started on our next point. We probably won't finish it in the time that I have left. And whatever we don't finish in the second service, we will finish in November. But I want to encourage you, if you can stay, 
to uh, stay for the second service because we will be continuing in Luke chapter 11. But this third point is that Jesus shows his power over evil. Let's read uh, Luke chapter 11, verses 14 to 26. Luke 11, 14 to 26. And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spoke, and people wondered. But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say I, that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall be, they be your judges? But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stranger then, but when a stronger than he shall come and overcome him, he taketh from him his armor, wherein he trusteth, and divided his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none, he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And he cometh, and when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So, Jesus is casting out devils. And, uh, I used to think of this as, as this, this dialogue that they were having with him. But I tend to think that they were actually talking to others and not necessarily directly to him because he said, but because it said, but he knowing their thoughts. So they might have even been trying to keep their thoughts from him and saying, well, let's just talk about this among ourselves, that he's serving the prince of the devils. Or that he is the prince of the devils. But he knew their thoughts. There's another story when he heals the lame man after he's let down through the roof. And I can always imagine the Pharisees wiping roof tiles from their clean shirts. And being bitter that they would disrupt this service this way. And it said, Jesus knowing their thoughts. That part astounds me. That he knew their thoughts and he responded to their thoughts without them saying a word, and yet they still rejected him. If someone knows my thoughts, I'm going to pay attention. I've had... I have one particular friend that has an extreme gift of discernment. 
And when I used to work at Guiding Light Mission, he would sometimes come in to visit me and he would say, I feel like you're down today. What, what's going on? What can I pray for you about? And the first couple of times he, he did something like that, it kind of freaked me out because I was like, who has that kind of discernment to know these things? I mean, he hadn't even barely looked at me and he knew this. But then I realized that God had given him a special gift of that, and I blessed God for that. And thanked him and thanked God that he was willing to speak up. And I just think about how God is always willing to help us, to explain himself, and as we'll get into after lunch, we'll see that, that Jesus does this, that he explains himself, and he has patience. It's interesting, too, that Abraham Lincoln would go on to quote these verses when talking about the Civil War, the war between the states. He said, we... We can't stand as a nation if we're divided. We can't stand as a Christian church if we are divided either. We need each other. And we will continue to talk more about that as we get into our session after lunch. But I want to ask you, have you encountered Jesus Christ? As I said, if you were here in the breaking of bread, there's only one question that's going to matter at the end of days. And that question is, what did you do with Jesus Christ? Yes, God is going to look at our works, and they're going to be tried by fire. And... And for the non-believer, especially, he's going to open the book and he's going to show all their works. And he's going to show that they were filthy, that they didn't mean a thing. But the number one question that he is going to ask when you stand before him, and you will stand before him no matter who you are, is what did you do with my son? What was your response to my son? Did you call him the prince of the devils? Did you turn your face away, hardened? Or did you say with Thomas, my Lord and my God? There will be people in heaven that will confess him as Lord, but it will be too late. Because <clears throat> the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That means even the most evil person that you can think of, King Ahab will be there. Adolf Hitler will be there. Our president will be there. They will all confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And some of us who do that will do it out of gratitude that we get to do it again in person. Because we've already done it here on earth. And we will go into everlasting joy and reward. 
And some of us will do it for the first time. And it will be too late. And he will say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. The question is, which which will you be? Which will you be? I pray that you will ask yourself that question honestly today. And that before you hit, your head hits the pillow tonight, perhaps even before you eat lunch today, that you will do business with God and you will say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you do that from a full heart, I can guarantee you that he will answer. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. And I will dine with him and he with me. What could be greater than that? Nothing went through my heart more than to know that you're going to be there the first time I strap on sneakers and run on the streets of gold. It will happen. Even Job, who was alive thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth, he said this, I know that my Redeemer lives. And on the earth again will stand. And then he said, I know that in my flesh, my, as, his, as his flesh is wasting away with boils, he still says this, I know that in my flesh I will see God. I know that in my flesh I will see God. And I pray that you will as well. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Luke and this chapter 11. We pray that as we continue to study it uh, after lunch, that you will give wisdom, that you will show us what you want to show us. We pray now that you would bless the food and the fellowship before us. I thank you for each of these saints, and I pray that they would continue to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for any here that are not yet saints, that they would know that saint is not some special designation that can only be given by a priest or someone here on earth, but saint is simply someone who has been saved from their sin and is trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. I pray that we would all become saints and live to serve you. Pray this in Jesus' name.